This morning we are looking at a few verses in Psalm chapter 16, a Psalm of David that speaks of the resurrection. Follow along with me as I read. David declares, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or the realm of the dead, or let your Holy One see corruption. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now you may be wondering, what on earth does this have to do with Easter? The answer is everything. Because at the very first opportunity that Jesus' followers, the very first witnesses of the resurrection from the of the of Jesus' resurrection from the grave, at their very first opportunity to speak to a large crowd about the life-transforming power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the passage that they went to. And I want you to understand this morning this life-changing truth contained in this passage. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Spirit to guide us, to open up our hearts and our minds and our souls to the life-changing truth of your resurrection, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit would draw us to yourself in a new and profound way this day, we pray, amen. It was a conversation, one of those conversations that you hope to never have. Maybe even more so, it was a phone call that you really hope that you never receive. Excuse me. He picked up the phone and called. Are you, is your name Mr. Smith? Not his real name. Uh, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I, I know this, you don't know this, and this may come as, this will be a huge surprise to you. This is probably your worst nightmare, but I'm your son. And you are my father. And he said, well, this is going to take me a little bit to get used to to understand this. Um, help me understand this. Why do you th- why do you think that you're uh, I'm your father? And he began to explain how, you know, as he grew up, he spent his childhood moving all across the country. His mom worked in a bar, and they would work in Orlando for some time. Then suddenly, in the middle of the night, something would go awry, either with the landlord or with a relationship. Something would go awry, and they would take all their belongings and pile them into the back of a station wagon and they would drive across the country to Las Vegas. And they would stay there for a couple months and suddenly in the middle of the night he would be taken out of his bed and thrown back into the car and they would drive to Ohio or to Chattanooga or to different places across the country. And as he was doing this, the question he kept asking his mother was, Mom, who's my dad? And he said, well, your dad is this man, that's why I named you after him. And so his whole childhood, he spent carrying the name of this man who was his dad. And he would have these images and these pictures of what was his dad like and who was this guy? Who was this man whose name that he bore? And what would it be like? Would it be like just maybe one day that they could have a relationship? That they could be a, a father and a son again and actually have that experience and know what that was like? 
So he called him. And the fact that the first time he called him, he was so nervous, he hung up the phone after he answered it. And he called back a couple days later and said, you know, I'm your son. And said, okay, well, you know, we need, obviously let's check this out. Let's make sure this is the case. He said, well, why don't we do this? Um, let's just send some, each other some pictures, and we can go ahead and get a DNA test just to confirm that this really is the case. He said, okay. So his dad sent him some pictures of himself. And he opens up those pictures, and he looked nothing like his dad. And that was a challenge because he looked nothing like his mom. And then a couple days later, his dad called him up and said, I know you don't want to hear this, but I got the results of the DNA test back. I'm, I'm not your father. I'm, I'm really sorry to say. Good luck to you. And it was at that point that he began... You know, he went and talked to his mom, and his mom couldn't remember the names of the other possibilities that it might be. And he said that at that moment, it felt like his whole life, that, his, that the rug had been pulled out from underneath of him. His whole life, he had had these images of this dad, of this man whose name he carried. And he said, when I found out that he wasn't my father, I just felt completely and totally abandoned. He said, my very existence was shaken to the core. I began to wonder... Who am I? And, 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 and where, did I, where did I come from? And what should my last name actually be? Because it wasn't his mother's name. It was the name of this man who turned out not to be his father. And he's like, and do I want the name of this non-father who I've never known being passed on to my children? He said it made me question. The very question, he said, I didn't even know what I could trust. I didn't know what was true. I mean, my very name was a lie. And the confidence, he said, my very confidence as a person had been shaken to its core. I mean, after all, every one of us wants to live life confidently, do we not? I mean, every one of us wants to live life confidently knowing where we came from and what life is about and on, and on, and on what truth do we stand. Everyone wants to know that. Do we not? And in stark contrast to my dear friend, Notice how David approaches life. And he approaches life with a remarkable confidence. Look at his, how confident it is. He says, declares, I shall not be shaken that no matter what comes at me in life, no matter what is thrown at me, I will not be shaken. He declares, he says, my flesh also dwells secure. I don't live my life filled with fear and anxiety and worry. He moves through life confidently knowing that I will not be abandoned, that my soul will not be abandoned to death. And he describes it even further, that when he does live life, he will live life to its fullness, with the fullness of joy, with pleasures forevermore, a life with pleasures forevermore, a life in the fullness of joy, a life that is not shaken, a life where he knows that he's not abandoned. I mean, this is the life of life that you want, isn't it? It's the type of life that I want. It's, it's, what I, it's what I want to experience. Well, where does this type of confident living come from that David had? Where does it come from for us? Where does it come from for my friend? Well, it all comes from the same place. That is a belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me explain this and show the connection here. Because the Word of God draws a very strong connection between our belief in the resurrection and the confidence 
in which we live life. Now stay with me as we understand this passage here and understand this life-changing truth. What happens in the course of the psalm is something a little bit unusual. Most of the psalm carries on like this, saying, uh, Heavenly Father, I will bless you. I will praise your name forever. Uh, for you, Lord, are my right hand. You, Lord, will not abandon me. The, the whole psalm is spoken in the first person as this first person interaction, this first person prayer to God. But suddenly in verse 10, it shifts dramatically. And it says this, For you will not abandon my soul to shale, or let your Holy One see corruption. Where on earth does that come from? It's completely out of the blue. The whole psalm has been talking about him, and all of a sudden, he starts talking about another person right in the middle of it. And this is what the apostles develop. Well, who is this? Let's, and this is the key phrase that was the, contains the, the instruction, the life-transforming truth about the power of the resurrection. Well, who is this holy one? What, what is this holy one? Well, to be clear, David is not referring to himself. Rather, what happens is that David sees that God is going to send his Holy One, who is Jesus Christ, in the future. Now, how, how, how do we know that? Well, he says, for you, Lord, will not abandon my soul to Sheol, for you will not let your Holy One. That David sees that God is going to send this Holy One. Now, how do we understand this? Maybe the church, church language doesn't do, do it for you of you know, this holy one, and what is that concept? Let me put it this way. Have you ever felt like you don't measure up? Have you ever felt that you're just not good enough? That even if you are successful, even if you are very successful, you still find yourself comparing yourself to your coworker, comparing yourself to your classmates, to family members, to other people around, and there's a sense in you that says, you know what? I just, I'm just not quite there. I, I could have done a little bit more. There's a, there, there should be just a little bit more. I could have gotten a little bit further. I could have done a little bit better. In an interview with NPR, former Beatles star Paul McCartney, he's on the top right for you, for those of you that don't know your Beatles trivia. Um, former Beatles star, and for those of you that don't know the Beatles, they were a really famous band at one point in time, okay? Former Beatles star Paul McCartney... <clears throat> in an interview with NPR, said this. He said, it seems to me that no matter how famous you are, no matter how accomplished or how many awards you get, you're always still thinking there's somebody out there who's better than you. I'm often reading a magazine and hearing about someone's new record, and I think, oh boy, that's going to be better than me. That's a very common thing. The interviewer was shocked, and he said, but... Sir Paul McCartney, you have had success in so many dimensions of music. You really feel a competitive insecurity with somebody else that's coming out with a record? And McCartney replied, unfortunately, yes. He said, you know, I should be able to look at my accolades and go, come on, Paul, that's enough. But there's still this little voice in the back of my brain that goes, no, 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 no. You, you could do better. This person over here is excelling. You need to try harder. You need to do better. You're not quite getting there. It still can be a little bit intimidating. And in contrast to that, you consider Jesus Christ, who couldn't do any better. Because there was no one who was better. That his achievements 
was perfect. He never fell short. He never erred. He never sinned. In his life, he has no regrets. He made no mistakes. There is no guilt. He has no shame. There's nothing in his life that he's afraid that someone's going to find out about. There's nothing that he's ever done that he feels like he has to explain away. Wait, wait a second. Let me, just, let me just tell you how this one really happened. I know you heard about it, but let me just tell you what really went on in this situation. He never had to do that. There was no one who was better. No one who could do better. No one who was wiser. No one who could surpass him. That is, he is the holy one, the sinless one, the perfect one, the holy one of God. Now, let's con- to understand the Holy One, let's contrast that with someone. How about we contrast that with, how about we contrast that with you? Or with me, for that matter, if you will. I mean, it should be abundantly self-evident that you're not holy and that you're not perfect. We might say, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. The reality is, is that you're not even close, nor am I. Now, a couple months ago, several of us in, in our church, we were doing a, a study trying to understand how to grow in God's grace and what the experience of living in light of Christ's resurrection is like. And so we did this exercise for a week. And the exercise was that for one week, you could not complain, criticize, boast, or defend yourself for one week. And, and three times a day, at lunch, at breakfast, at lunch, and at dinner time, you would have a journal, and you'd write down how you did in each of those areas and keep a record of that, okay? Now, what happened was, after we, several of us went through this, what people said was this. They said, my mouth is far more out of control than I ever thought. I mean, I knew it was going to be bad. I was shocked at how judgmental and how critical and how condemning and how complaining my words are, and they just flow out of my mouth like an ever-running fountain that never ends of condemning, critical, judgmental, complaining, boasting words. Constantly. Now consider with me, let's say that over the course of a day, let's say that you only, I don't know, you were only like complained one time. And maybe, you know, you only were, you know, you saw that person that you didn't like and you only said one mildly critical thing about them. And, and let's say someone, you know, asked you if you did something and you just responded very defensively even though there was an element of truth in what they said. I mean, if that's all that it was over the course of the day, you know, three, three little things over the course of the day, I mean, you'd be probably like a virtual saint. I mean, that'd be, that'd be remarkable, would it not? Well, you consider that. Well, let's do the math. Okay, three times a day times 365 days a year over a thousand times a year. If I live to be 70 years old, that's over 70,000 sins in my life. And that's just assuming that's just three, three times a day. Hmm. Now, if I went before a traffic judge and I had 70,000 traffic violations against me, and I said to the judge, Judge, you need to understand something. I am a good driver. You have no idea how many times I obey the speed limit. You know what? You don't know how often I stop at stop signs when I see them. I really am a good driver. If he's a just judge, is he going to let you go? No way. He's going to lock you up, right? How much more so for us before a holy, sinless God, right? And the reality is not just 70 
thousand times in our life. It's not just three times a day, but it's add several zeros to that, and that's close to reality. And that's not just the same that we say, but the things that we think and the things that we do that we shouldn't do. And not just that, but the things that we fail to say and fail to do that we actually should do. My point in this is not actually about you. My point in this is not about you and your unholiness. Rather, I want you to consider Jesus and his holiness. The fact that over the course of his life, he never said anything wrong. He never said, oh, I should, I, that just didn't come out right. Oh, shouldn't have done that one. He never said anything wrong. He is the holy one of God, and that God sent Jesus his holy one. Now, the second part of this that we need to understand how it connects to the power of the resurrection is the second part of this phrase. For David declares, because your holy one will not see corruption. Corruption, in the biblical usage here, is the experience of being far from God forever. And what does it mean to be far from God? It means to be far from the source of all life, far from the source of all love, all happiness, all goodness, all truth, anything that you like in your life, being far from that forever in both body and soul. That's what that corruption means. And what David declares is that you, O Lord, will not let your Holy One see corruption. Now, a thousand years later, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, first witness to the resurrection, affirms that this is talking about Jesus Christ and that this actually changes our lives. Stay with me, okay? This is what G Peter says at Pentecost. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I must say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. God's Holy One did not see corruption. Though Jesus, the Holy One, was fully man, fully God, though he was bodily crucified as he was nailed to the cross, died, buried, the third day where God resurrected him from the grave, he did not let his Holy One see corruption. Do you understand what this means for you and what it means for me? What it means is that everything else in the psalm is now true because of the resurrection of Jesus. What it means is that for you and for me, is that we are not abandoned. 
is that David understands very clearly the direct connection that if I am in Jesus Christ, if I am in the Holy One of God, then I am not abandoned to death. That I am not abandoned to the judgment of death. For Scripture declares that the wages of sin is death. What I deserve for my unholiness. What I deserve for my 70,000 zero, 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 zero. What I deserve for my unholiness is death, physical death, eternal death for what I have done. However, instead of abandoning us to death, which God rightfully could have done, His Holy One, Jesus Christ, was crucified for me in my place for my unholiness and for yours as well. And though this body will die, God, through Jesus Christ, will resurrect this body to eternal life. And this body will be resurrected from the grave just as Jesus was resurrected. You are not abandoned. And because you are not abandoned, this gives us incredible confidence for living. That now, because of the resurrection, we can live confidently. And live life with confidence. Not only in the face of death, but also in the face of life. You see, people make a very egregious mistake. A very fatal mistake is that people, particularly as they're growing up and they're working through things that they believe or don't believe, is this, if you grew up in the church, is this faith that I have, do I really believe this, or is this just because I went to a church and my parents believe this, do I believe this or not? And in the midst of that, there's usually a window, a time in that, that people get to the point where they make this egregious mistake. And the mistake they make is this, is that life and the fullness of life is found apart from God. That the fullness of life and confident living is found separate from God, separate from Jesus, being freed from any aspect of Christianity. It couldn't be farther from the truth. No, it is actually found in God, not separate from Jesus, but being found in Jesus and found through Jesus. Here's what this looks like. My friend, as he was continuing to wrestle through who his father was, and eventually coming to the conclusion that he would never know and never find out who his father was. He said this, he says, what gives me confidence in the midst of this is what gives me confidence is that through Jesus, I now have a heavenly father who loves me and a heavenly father who has made me his own, a heavenly father who has not abandoned me who will not forsake me, and moreover, he has adopted me into his family. And indeed, this very morning, actually right about right now, that same man is a pastor, and he is preaching the very first Easter sermon of a new church that God has used him to plant. And right now, he is telling everyone that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave, and that through a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not abandoned, and you are not forsaken, and that you too can live with confidence and dwell secure because Jesus is risen from the grave. And on this celebration of Easter this day, 
on this celebration of Easter, not only are we not abandoned and we can live confidently going forth from here, but at this celebration of Easter, we must rejoice. And we must rejoice to a greater degree than David rejoiced. For David declares, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. It's rather amazing, is it not? I mean, David is writing this a thousand years before Jesus Christ. A thousand years before Jesus Christ, David is rejoicing in confidence and living confidently because of the resurrection of the Holy One of God. David is living in confidence, looking forward prophetically, looking forward in faith that indeed one day, one day, God would send his Holy One, and that this Holy One would not be abandoned to the grave, and that one day, this Holy One would not see corruption, and that this Holy One would be resurrected from the dead. David rejoiced in hope and faith, not seeing or knowing any of that, but looking forward in confidence that God will not let his Holy One see corruption. But for us, Today is Easter, and today we do not declare what David declared. We do not rejoice as David rejoiced. David rejoiced in what, might, what, would, in what would happen in the far future. Rather, we rejoice and we celebrate in the reality of that which David, in which David hoped. We rejoice today, not saying, Father, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. No, we rejoice and our hearts are glad and our whole being celebrate because we declare Jesus is risen from the grave. You, Father, did not let your Holy One see corruption. Not something in the future, but on the historical and certain reality of Jesus Christ being risen from the grave. And so we stand today with our hearts glad and our whole being rejoicing to a greater degree. For not for something that David imagined, but for something that has actually occurred. And we stand today in awe and in wonder and in worship. And yes, we join with David declaring, saying, Therefore, my heart is glad. Therefore, my whole being rejoices. For you, O Lord, did not let your Holy One see corruption. And because he did not see corruption, I am not abandoned. Because he did not see corruption, I will not be corrupted. I, I will be resurrected. Therefore, I will not fear death. No, moreover, I will not fear life. For I will live in the confidence of his resurrection. Do you hear the encouragement that, brothers and sisters, may we live in the confidence of his resurrection. May our hearts be glad. May our whole beings rejoice. For the Holy One of God has been resurrected from the grave. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father, it is astounding. Lord, sometimes we read the Bible and we think, oh yeah, that happened a long time ago and that happened a longer time ago. And we don't get the power of what you have done. And Lord, it is amazing to me 
that a thousand years before Jesus came, David looked in confidence. David lived confidently because of the resurrection of the Holy One. Father, how much more so do we, as we stand on this side of the cross, as we stand on this side of the empty tomb, widely attested, how much more confidence do we have to live, not in what you will do, but in what you have done, in what has been accomplished. And Father, we ask that you would send your spirit to grip our hearts with this truth, that we would cling to it, that we would rejoice in the reality that we are not abandoned and will not be forsaken if we are in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ and through his resurrection, we can live confidently as we face death and moreover in this moment as we face life. Father, would you work that truth in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ, the Holy One from the grave, we pray. Amen.